Welcome to Dial It Up. I'm Mike Nada. And I'm Randy Redekop. The series of podcasts contains a, a number of conversations we've had with educators about the role of digital technology in the classroom. Today's podcast uh, comes to you via Zoom. We have people in uh, in Brandon, uh, Mike and Mateo are in Brandon, I'm in Winnipeg, and... Uh, so we're talking with Matteo Demuro, who is a computer science teacher in uh, in Brandon, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about himself. Matteo? Oh, for sure. Hey, I'm Matteo Demuro. Um, I've been teaching at Vincent Massey High School in Brandon, Manitoba, since uh, 2011, and uh, I have taught um, all the different levels of math. And about two or three years into my teaching career, I uh, asked if I could teach computer science because it was just a hobby of mine. And I've never looked back. So I think it's been five or six years now of teaching math and computer science. And uh, I am currently doing a doctoral degree at University of Regina. And I'm um, looking forward to wrapping that up. Just started in September. And yeah, stay tuned for more on that, I suppose, as my thesis comes out. <laughs> and Matteo is becoming pretty famous these days. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Reddy, but on he's been making use of Wakelet quite a bit and it was actually um, one of his student assignments was featured on a Wakelet email that went out on their weekly spotlights and then he was uh, highlighted in uh, Manitoba Teacher Society outlets their social media and website with uh, you know some of the things he's doing in the current pandemic so he's a famous guy um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mateo maybe we just started in our first ebook, you wrote a chapter about your, our second ebook, I guess was, about your approach to computer science. Um, maybe you just want to talk about that for a little bit. For sure. Um, so it kind of goes all back to the beginning. So when I first started teaching computer science, like I'd never taken a methods course or anything like that. Um, so I just kind of, you know, got a textbook, uh, started creating some notes and things like that. And uh, probably two or three days in, it became really apparent that some students were going to go through the material uh, quite quickly and uh, some would be quite slow and then others would sort of be maybe at my pace, which is, who knows if that's fast or slow. But anyhow, um, it kind of became apparent that I couldn't teach it in like a traditional format where like I'm doing something every day and, and the students are following along. Um, so what I started doing was I um, started making all the notes available and changing their format so that they were a bit more student friendly um, with the idea that students could sort of work through at their own pace and I would sort of just facilitate. Um, so at the beginning of every lesson, 5, 10, 15 minutes, um, like I might do a demo or something like that or kind of say, hey, like this is roughly where you should be. Um, and then uh, the second part of that was also I started realizing that some students really wanted to help other people. So like they would be fast, uh, but they'd rather like, you know, help out their friends and, and do uh, computer science with them. Um, so I started encouraging that. And pretty soon we started having a classroom atmosphere of like, hey, like if you're stuck, you know, ask two or three people before you ask Demiro. And um, that, that went well. And eventually, uh, just in the last, it's really been the last year that I've been trying to do this is putting everything on YouTube. So um, I, I figured if I was going to do a tutorial, 
um, and I wanted my course to truly be sort of at the pace that the student wanted, I needed to put these things on YouTube so that if they missed something or whatever, they weren't, when I did the tutorial, they weren't quite at that spot yet, that they could go back and see it. So I started filming these things um, and putting them on YouTube. And that's literally just in the last year. So I sort of, I think I have like maybe 10 tutorials up there, but my intention is to cover the entire course doing that method. Tell us a bit about that, because you're doing it in your math classes as well, aren't you? Yeah, um, it started originally, started for math. Um, I read uh, that book by, I think it's Bergman and Sam's, like five or six years ago on like flipping your classroom. And they were just like, you know, the first step is just start by, you know, videotaping your lectures. Like, and they literally described like they, this was back in 1999, they got like a video camera and set it up at the back of the room. Um, and I figured, well, okay, I'll just use my phone. So I started doing that. Like, I really started doing it in earnest, um, probably in September. Although I was I was filming videos here and there of concepts that students generally found tricky. Uh, but I made the commitment in September that I was just going to do it every day. So I had the students remind me. Um, and had a couple of really good students who, like, really get on my case. Because it's so easy to just start and then be like, oh, I'm five minutes in and I'm not going to record. Um, so I had these students making sure that I was setting up my phone. And, um, and then I was I made the commitment that I was going to take the time and upload it every night. Um, and then it just kind of expanded from there. So it just slowly became like, okay, well, now I have this playlist of grade 11 pre-calc, um, the entire course, like from day one. So I started saying like, well, I'm going to upload my blank notes uh, to put them in the description, like put them on my Google Drive so that anybody on the internet could possibly follow through with, with the lecture. And then it just, you know, like I said, it went from there, started doing it for computer science. So that was a bit different because I had to use um, like a screencasting software. And I just asked the kids, I'm like, what's, what's a good thing? And they said, oh, well, open broadcasting software is free. There's no time limits and you have all these options of what you can record. So I started using that. Um, I was using Screencastify at first, but there's like a 15 minute time limit if you don't pay. Um, so after that, it just became like more and more clear to me that like getting feedback from students that, Hey, this is actually really useful. Um, or even just seeing, like I uploaded, you know, a grade 11 pre-calc lesson and, you know, a day later it's got like 15 views, um, or even 10 or five or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well I got 25 kids in the class. So if five kids went back and, and viewed some part of the video and found it useful, then, then that's really valuable. In terms of the uh, flipped classroom, then, are you hoping that uh, students, well, no, you can't because you're recording the lectures as you go, but so you're not hoping they uh, they view this before class. But yeah, not yet. Like for grade 11 pre-calc, I'm completely done that course. For grade 12 pre-calc, I'm continuing to film even during the closure. So um, we're about halfway through and I'm going to finish that one up, you know, by June. And I started also like literally like a week ago, not even, I started making Google form quizzes um, that I now like I'll put in the description. So not for every video, but like for a group of videos, um, I'll have say, okay. And it's for my students mostly. Um, but you know, I say, okay, the last two or three videos of material, here's a little quiz you can try and, and it grades itself. Um, and I started putting <clears throat> feedback in there. So if they get the answer wrong, it'll sort of tell them like what, what they needed to do or whatever. So I'm hoping that that'll be useful. And um, I'm seeing a lot more views on my channel. I don't, I don't really know if it's my students or not at this point, but it's, um, I got more views in the last three months um, than all of 2019 combined. So it's, um, it's definitely like it just slowly takes off. And the more I see that, the more I want to do it. 
Um, so it's just, mm-hmm. it's slowly like changing me, I guess. And, and if you don't, I think if you don't have some kind of project on the go, um, it's not, you might be stagnating, you know, I'm not saying you're going to be stagnating if you're not doing anything, but um, I, I think I'm definitely on board. Like you should be doing something that challenges you all the time. And um, computer science lets me do that. Like uh, even though this started with the math, um, the, the curriculum is basically, you know, non-existent for computer science in Manitoba. So I can kind of do what I want. Um, and that's where like the Wakelet stuff started happening. So I started moving away from tests and like um, assignments. So like in grade 11, computer science, like we'll cover the notes. Um, but last semester I was like, how about instead of a test, um, you guys make YouTube tutorials. So you'll, at the end of the chapter, you'll make a YouTube tutorial for, for this chapter. Um, and we started doing that and it took forever. And there was a million stumbling blocks, like a million places that we could have stopped and given up. But um, at the end of the day, like after we made a rubric together, um, the kids really bought on and they were like, you know, this is, Gonna, like this takes me five or six or seven days, which is way more work than studying for a test. But they all said uh, that they would rather do the YouTube tutorial. <laughs> and then uh, eventually by the end of the course, I got them to remix my notes and we, we put it all in a wakelet. Like, so we got like uh, the notes and the YouTube tutorials for the chapters we did. And we put it out there uh, publicly on wakelet and it got, yeah, it got picked up by wakelet at some point. And um now I can use that as a springboard for future classes because every other class will want to outdo the class that, you know, <laughs> whatever got featured on the Wakelet newsletter or something like that. So it just kind of feeds itself. It's really interesting to kind of step back and watch that happen. I guess well, it's interesting how students will take more time to do something if they're actually creating. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I had a couple students who did not want to make the, the tutorial. So... I asked them, like, what do you, what would you rather do? And those kids wanted to uh, do the test. And I said, well, that's fine. I still got them to make one tutorial. And I said, I'm not going to make it public. And there was permission forms and all that stuff involved. I said, I'm not going to make it public. You decide. Just try it this one time. Um, and then if you really want to do tests after this, go for it. And uh, there I had, had one, one student out of, like, 12 or 13 who preferred to do the tests. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if he wants to display his learning that way, uh, then that's fine. Yeah, well, it's great to have that, give them that choice as well um, in their yeah. learning and the way they show it. And, yeah. I, and you and, know, he was the one who spawned the whole, um, like, let's remix the, the, the notes. Because I was originally just going to do YouTube tutorials. And then he was like, well, I kind of feel like I should do something. Like, I don't feel comfortable having my voice on a video, but, like, maybe I can, like, uh, redo your notes and make them more student-friendly and... and kind of get rid of references to the textbook and make up my own exercises. And I said, great. And then all of a sudden, like I had three or four or five people in the class doing that on top of the tutorials or an edition or whatever. So it, uh, it just, it just goes on and on and on and the kids start taking ownership and it's, it's just amazing to watch. Like I would not have predicted that at the beginning. <laughs> well, that's a, a really neat project and it's interesting hearing how it goes. And I'd imagine the learning that they've, you know, that, they've undergone is even more so than if they just did a traditional writing some programs, writing a test and, and carrying on that there's so many other skills they're learning as well with that. And, uh, you know, in computer science is more than just writing programs as well. So that's interesting. You sort of have to let go. Like I had to let go a bit because, you know, in chatting with students or questions, I feel like I started noticing like, okay, students, 
everybody's walking away with something different, right? Like you said, like you learn different things. So certainly like, at least for me, I had to sort of accept like, okay, like not everybody's going to learn, you know, strings as well as I would have liked. But you know, that being said with a test or whatever, you're still not guaranteed that everybody's going to learn it anyway. So at some point I, I really, uh, I needed to make peace with that because <laughs> you, you can't really escape the way that you were, you know, educated, I suppose. <laughs> or at least I find it very hard to, to, you know, like I'll, I'll find myself doing like the wakelet stuff. And then there's a little voice where it's like, yeah, but like maybe we should have some kind of test. <laughs> you know, you just have to really ignore it and just focus on like the good things that you're seeing because it's definitely worth it. How are you uh, choosing curriculum? Because as you say, the Manitoba curriculum is a framework, not a curriculum. Yeah, that's right. It's a framework. And you know what? It's actually not bad. Like I, I like it. So I, I started with that um, and we just make sure that we, we cover those things. Um, and there even is some stuff in the framework about like teaching others and, and things like that. So there, there's a lot of wiggle room because it's a framework. So um, I also kind of chatted with some of the computer science profs at, at BU, the local university and and kind of said, okay, like, you know, they said right away that like, we, we start from scratch. Like we assume that you don't know anything when you come into the computer science program, but you know, here's sort of the things that would be nice to know. And, and it basically aligned, aligned with the framework that Manitoba had. Um, I tell you, you've done some other kinds of projects as well during your, and teaching computer science. Do you want to briefly touch on a few of those? Sure. Um, in the grade 12 class, like I get the students to uh, teach. Uh, so they learn how to use Scratch and then I get them to make lessons and um, eventually they go out and I got a couple of partnerships with some local teachers in Brandon and we'll go into their class and we'll teach about five or six hours worth of Scratch, um, completely led by my grade 12s. Um, I'll show up for like uh, the first session. Um, although lately I've, I find I start showing up in the middle. I kind of like that better, but um, yeah, they go in and they teach and they take ownership of all that. And uh, that, that's an interesting project they have. And again, it, it fits into that framework because there's a whole like teaching other people. Um, of course, I think we're taking it sort of beyond what was intended, but um, the kids definitely latch on and everybody finds a role. And, and my favorite aspect of that project is you have one or two kids who are sort of a little vocal that they don't want to do it. Then I kind of say like, well, you can do an alternative assignment. And then they're always like, no, 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 like I'll go. And then usually by the end, they're fairly on board with like, this was actually very valuable for me to do. And it really caused me to think like a lot more concisely on these computer science topics. Um, and, and then it makes them realize how hard learning is. Like they kind of forget by the time they get to grade 12, um, what it's like to be in grade six, <laughs> you know, and trying to learn something like computer science. You've also done some robotic stuff. I noticed just before the pandemic really took hold and things were closed up. <laughs> yes, that is, it's such a shame that um, everything got canceled. But yeah, at the beginning, I think it was in September, a student approached me and uh, they had this thing called First, like this website, First Robotics Canada or whatever. And as a big, it's a big nonprofit. They've been around for 30 years or so. Um, the guy, the original guy who made the Segway, his name escapes me, but he, he came up with this concept. Um, so it's a very non, a very like large and very successful nonprofit. Like they're in the States, they're in Canada. They had teams from Asia this year. Um, and basically, uh, what they do is, uh, they, they try to spread awareness about STEM, uh, through robotics. So we applied, we got this large grant 
to um to, to participate and build a robot and and uh, so you know you gotta design it you gotta build it um you're, you're like ordering all these parts online like um, motors and and racial gears and things like that and you're li- and the robot's big like it's um it's about three to four feet high and it's um two two feet long or so it's a it's a big it's a big boy and they have like this huge competition every year it's a different uh, different task so you got to design your robot to like do specific tasks and the kids were loving it and we um yeah we got a man ace grant uh, which allowed us to purchase a lot of the extra materials that we needed and we had just gotten the robot moving um and that involved some code and uh and then uh our school canceled all extracurriculars and then shortly after the school closure happened and, and we were not able to continue <laughs> well that's unfortunate but maybe another year <laughs> yeah uh, our intention is to, to finish building it at, like whenever we go back so it might be in september and and first robotics they haven't even said what they're going to do because they had to cancel the whole season and uh there's a lot of teams obviously that are disappointed so maybe i'm hoping they're just going to rerun the season uh, next year, and we can just do do it again. <laughs> All right. You mentioned Scratch. What, what other languages do you use? People always want to know what kind of languages you're into. Yeah, it's um. So Scratch is for the grade 12s. Uh, so I like Scratch for elementary age kids because it really is like as easy as it's going to get, and you mm-hmm. can make some pretty um, interesting games. Uh, quite easily with Scratch. So it's a great language, especially for beginners. I'm, I'm very sold on that. Uh, but in grade 10, I use Visual Basic. And uh, back in the day, like I was looking at job applications and I noticed that small and medium-sized businesses at the time uh, were using Visual Basic because you can make, um, you can make like custom software with Visual Basic, you know, fairly easily. Um, and then I realized that at a certain point, it doesn't matter because once you learn one programming language it's incredibly easy to learn the syntax for another one so it's more like learning the concepts like what's a loop um, or how do classes work you know what's an array um, once you learn those concepts super easy to learn others so i do visual basic in grade 10 in grade 11 i do java and then in grade 12 um, the course is completely project-based so students will pick and choose what they're going to learn um, so some kids learn unity which is a game making uh, software other kids are like you know, I'm going to, you know, Waterloo next year and I'm going to learn C++. So everybody's different. Uh, Project-based for those group projects? You know, I've never actually, uh, only one time in grade 12 have I had, um, I had two or three kids working together on a group project, uh, which was interesting. But for the most part in grade 12, like I had, like, uh, they, they give me a proposal, identify their resources and, you know, how will they know when they succeed? Um, I'll get them to identify like uh, when when am I going to quit? So what like at what point you know does this become that like did I choose a project that's too hard? Um, it's going to suck up all my time and I'm not going to get anything done. So I get them to identify like when will they quit? Uh, how will I know when they succeed and like what resources they need? Um, that way I can get the school to purchase things because the school's been really good to me. Like if I need like I probably spend two or three or four hundred dollars on my grade twelves. Um, every year, and it's because the school just says, hey, like, sure, we'll purchase whatever this thing is that your kid says they need. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That, that tends to be, it's in the uh, Manitoba framework, and it tends to be the hardest thing for teachers to implement is the whole group project thing that you're supposed to be doing in grade 12. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, part of that was, 
you know, doing the scratch stuff, like them going out, I suppose, you know, that, that would be a group project because first I get them to learn it on their own and then they make their own lesson plans and then they come together as a group and they say, okay, what are we going to do uh, with whatever these grade sixes we're going to teach? And then they do all their planning collaboratively from that point forward. Nice idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we've taken up a bunch of your time, Mateo. I'm just wondering, in your approach and now, do you have computer science going on now? Um, yeah, so like with the school closures, um, the, the biggest roadblock to continuing to teach computer science like over distance, uh, at least for my students, is a lot of them, in say the grade 10 class, they don't have a computer that is... Um, that has the hardware requirements to run Visual Studio. Uh, it's a pretty beefy program. Um, some kids are just held back because it has to download from the web and it's like 20 gigabytes and their connection's too slow and they're like, it's taking days and days and it keeps canceling and it's just not working. Um, so I kind of said, you know, do what you can. Um, I follow a guy on the internet, um, Computer Science Teacher is the name of his website or blog or something and he's, he's done some textbooks in the States and stuff um, and worked with Microsoft and his school, they set up like a remote network or something so their kids can access through their internet the school um, network and run like visual. And he's using Visual Studio as well, like to run Visual Studio from there. Um, unfortunately, we, we didn't get that set up where I'm at. So it's basically like if you can get it installed, great, I'll support you. Um, otherwise, it's just nothing's really happening. My grade 11s are more lucky because the program is way smaller so they can continue working and just asking me questions and we're just kind of doing it day by day like that. And I get time to have your grade 10s learn Scratch. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, be great to, yeah. I, I, geez, that's a great idea actually, it didn't even occur to me. Save some, some time in grade 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess, um, who knows if in fall we start with remote learning as well. I know at university we're planning for that contingency. Um, you may have to come up with some new ideas anyways to to carry on but yeah um, I, I think universities should definitely you know I, I know a lot of them are moving to be online but it should it should certainly be like at the top of the list is like how are we going to deliver this course online you know in some sort of reasonable timeline yeah um, sure those are the discussions we're having at BU anyways and I'm sure it's the same across other universities um sure. Where could people go to find your stuff online, like your YouTube videos? What would what they look up? Right. Um, if they, if you just go to YouTube and you type in Matteo DiMuro, um, like M-A-T-T-E-O and then D-I space M-U-R-O, uh, you'll find the channel right away. It'll be the first hit. And I basically have a variety of playlists on there. And you can go on there and, and click and see what I got. Um, I started doing a podcast with some of my um, friends out in Saskatchewan, and we're putting that on YouTube, and we're going to start uh, uploading that to, like, Anchor or something like that as well uh, in the future. So we're just going around interviewing teachers. Uh, we, we're hoping to get a couple of the bigger ed names um, that we have on Twitter to, to give us an interview as well. So that literally, we just did an interview last week, and I'm editing it. <laughs> okay. Try to... Trying to butt into our artwork here, are you? Yeah, just kind of stealing, you know. It seems like there's a lot of learning to go around, so hopefully we don't have to, you know, fight each other anymore. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think I think there's room for all of us. Anyways, um, thanks a lot, Mateo. But before we go, we usually ask our guests to uh, leave us in the audience with a provocative thought or question to mull over. 
after listening to the podcast. So what have you got for us? Sure. Um, you know, I was struggling and I was chatting with a colleague about this. Uh, so when all, this, when all the closures happened um, and we're talking about how are we going to assess students, like how are we going to know they're valid? Like how do we know who's on the other side writing, you know, the, the assessment? Um, it kind of came up like, well, you know, tests are kind of useless then, aren't they? <laughs> so I guess in light of everything that happened, I, I don't know if it's a thought-provoking question um, or maybe it's more of a statement, but like, uh, I really think it might be time to to do away with, with like tests, um, so to speak, and just move to a more um, open-ended sort of format. And and maybe maybe the question is this: like, should we be having our students share and create things online? Like, is that not the best way to display your learning, and and then you can assess it from there? Okay, that's thought-provoking. Perhaps. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get burned on the internet for that. But like, uh, um, I'm all for tests. Like, there's definitely a time and a place for tests. Certainly there is. But um, there, I think there needs to be more of a balance. And and if it's just tests, you know, day in and day out, um, you know, they're great for formative feedback. But like, I, I think at the end of a course, you should be displaying your learning, you know, online um, or creating some kind of artifact that, that can be shared with others. Okay, well, right. thank you very much. Thank you much, Mateo. We enjoyed this. Right on. Thank you. Great, great conversation. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the Manitoba Association for Computing Educators, NANACE, for sponsoring these podcasts. And thanks, too, to Tofu Stravinsky for the soundtrack. See you next time.